Good morning, everybody. If y'all could uh, find a seat. Everyone's so social this morning. Cabin fever. Cabin fever. A special uh, blessing on those of you who brought your children uh, today. Uh, I kind of get it. We are going to church. Uh, we're getting out of the house. Uh, and, uh, uh, glad that uh, you are here among us. Very glad to have uh, Bishop Keith Sloan with us. Uh, he was with us at the 9. He'll be with us at the 11. And uh, he is going to uh, bring uh, a word to us today. Uh, toward the end, if there's time for questions and answers, we've got some uh, index cards. Uh, feel free to jot those down, and uh, we will ask those if there's time at the end. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to this place and that we are your people. Uh, we give you great praise for your son Jesus, uh, who has reconciled us to you, uh, but has also reconciled us to one another. And Lord, that you would uh, continue to use us and bless us uh, in spite of ourselves, uh, but that we would keep our eyes uh, on your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Bishop. Good morning. Good morning. Um, is this working? Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. I want to um, take a minute to say what I want to say. And then after that, um, I'll be glad to have some time for whatever questions there are. There should be time for questions because um, I can tell you everything I know pretty quick. Uh, and I'm not trying to tell you everything I know today. The best part of this will be when um, you have questions for me. Um, if it's a stump the bishop sort of question, what year was the Second Council of Nicaea? I'm just going to say you have to ask Andrew about that. I don't, I don't know. Um, and if I just don't know the answer, I'm going to say I don't know. Other bishops would be smarter or, or more inventive and give you other answers. Um, but I, I, I don't need to impress anybody with um, trying to be smarter than I really am. I'm not here to fuss. I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. I'm not here to argue or fight. Um, we've done a lot of, we in the Episcopal Church have done a lot of arguing, fussing, convincing, and fighting, and I don't think it has done us any good at all. So if you, if I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if, you, if you're going to try to pick a fight with me, I'm probably not going to fight back and you're going to be disappointed. And I'm going to laugh about it all the way home. Um, I'm, I'm just, I don't think fighting builds up the body of Christ. I'm here to tell you about the Episcopal Church that I know. I'm here to tell you about the Episcopal Church that I love. I'm 61 years old. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. My mother and father grew up in the Episcopal Church. They met on the steps of Holy Trinity Episcopal Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where all four of their children were baptized and confirmed and where I was ordained a deacon. It's an Episcopal love story. I was ordained in 81, 35 years ago. Um, I was ordained a priest in 82. I was ordained a bishop in 2008 right here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. I don't know everything there is to know about the Episcopal Church. I'm still learning more and more. I think it is like that old sermon illustration. I'm sure you've heard it more than once. When four or five blind men, the story is, I guess they could be women too, encounter a elephant. 
and one of them who feels the trunk f tells the others that it is like a big flexible hosey sort of thing and one of them that encounters the tail says it's a long ropey thing with hair on the end and the one that encounters the leg says no it's like a tree trunk and one says no it's like a big flappy sail because he's got a hold of the ear an elephant is all those things but that does not define the elephant the Episcopal Church similarly is a lot of things it is a Protestant denomination of the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church it is a constituent member of the Anglican Communion placing equal weight on the authority of scripture tradition and reason it is a liturgical expression of the joy of our faith in the Christian Church it is a church that seeks the middle way between Catholicism and Protestantism between sacrament and sermon between progressive and traditional it is in the nature of the Episcopal Church to seek the middle way we are a church that was born in compromise and raised in controversy and we always have a controversy going we're not set up so that we can say right here on this page this chapter this verse the Bible says and so that's the end of the conversation we're not set up so that we can say well the bishop says or the priest the dean says or the general convention says and that's the end of the conversation the conversation continues about a lot of things all of those controversies all of those things that we have considered the controversy the conversation the sharing our thoughts and hopes and fears continues and that's as it should be it's the church I belong to and I love it and I'm proud to be an Episcopalian because the Episcopal Church is a church that encourages people to engage in our faith and to think about what we believe because we don't all agree because we don't have to agree thinking people honest people will disagree with each other it is our nature as humans and I believe that the diversity of our thought and practice makes us richer and fuller and more whole I love the Episcopal Church because we value the beauty of liturgy and intelligent engaging sermons I love the Episcopal Church because the Episcopal Church requires participation it's not entertainment it's not a spectator sport it's something we all do together and I love the Episcopal Church because I could be wrong there's a long sermon story that goes with this but the Reader's Digest version of it is once upon a time when I was directing a camp for people with mental and physical disabilities in Mississippi one of the campers wanted to go smooch with his girlfriend and I told him he couldn't do it because surely that's against the rules to have campers go and smooch he said well the counselors all do <laughs> and I had been a counselor and I knew that to be true 
And the whole theme of this camp is to treat people with dignity and respect. But still, I'm the director and I need to uphold the rules. And so I said, no, Glenn, I'm sorry. And he said, you could be wrong. And I was. I said, okay, you got 10 minutes. Keep all your clothes on. (laughs) Then I went and told his counselor and her counselor and... But the, the great gift of the moment was for me to know, I, even though I was the director of the camp, even though I was a priest, and now even though I'm the bishop, I could be wrong. And I need the church around me to say, hey, bucko, you're messing up. I need the other voices who say, I don't agree with that. That, that Catholicity that being part of something larger is something I need and I think we all need. Being an Episcopalian is being part of a parish which is part of a diocese, which is part of the Episcopal Church, which is part of the Anglican Communion, which is part of the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We can't exist all by ourselves. I can't. You can't. Growing up, one of the facts of my life was that mom was a really, really good cook. She baked her own bread. And she cooked most things very well. Later I figured out that my dad was also a very, very good bartender. He really only made a few things well, but he made an old-fashioned. Y'all know what an old-fashioned is? Uh, That he said was an unreasonably good old-fashioned. And he made a Bloody Mary that was really spicy that he called an uncommonly good Bloody Mary. So when the bishop would come once a year or so, rather than having a reception, um, mom and dad would invite the bishop and his wife and the priest and his wife. They were all men back then. And they would come, hopefully because mom was a really good cook, but I suspect a little bit because because dad was a really good bartender. And they would have an uncommonly good unreasonably good something or another or two before lunch and then after lunch they would sit around and talk about the issues of the day. This is in the early 60s, mid 60s in Mississippi and I remember them talking about civil rights. I remember them talking about the threat of a new prayer book. Oh my. Now remember them talking about the ordination of women, an issue that was looming large. We didn't even have women on the vestry. My sisters couldn't be acolytes because they were girls. And now the story is that they're trying to ordain women. What will we come to next? And every step of the way, Dad said, this is the end of the Episcopal Church. This is our doom. The bishop was reassuring. The priest was nervous. The priest at the time had an ongoing concern about a group within the church that were diabolically opposed to the new prayer book. The national president for the pres- the national president of the Society for the Preservation of the Book of Common Prayer, the 28th book, was a member of our parish. And once when I was in the youth group, I heard the priest say something about it and I said, oh yeah, they're all 
mean-spirited people. They need to get up with the times. And Father McKenna said, they are the loyal opposition. I said, I know it's terrible. And he said, you missed my point. They are the loyal opposition. They don't agree. They don't like it. But they're still here. My grandmother was raising three little children in Utah, Alabama when we changed to the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. She had grown up an Episcopalian. Her parents had grown up Episcopalians. She loved the whatever it was before the 1928 book. 1849, is that right? 1895. Thank you. Glad you're here. (laughs) And she didn't want to change. She didn't like this new thing. It was all out of order. She hated it. She's going to hold her breath and stomp her feet. And she and the priest had a long-running disagreement about this new 1928 Book of Common Prayer. But there was nothing she could do about it, and she stayed in the church, and eventually she got to where she could stand it, and then she got to where she liked it. And by the time her husband died, and I'd just been ordained for a couple of years, my mom asked me to do the funeral, and I said, I'd be honored to. She said, now, they want the 1928 Book now. I said, that's fine. After the service, we went to Grandma's house, and we had toasts and read poems. And Grandma was sitting in her chair, and she motioned me over and said, when my day comes, meaning her her death, you'll do the service, meaning the funeral. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you'll use the prayer book. That was not a question meaning the 1928 Book of Prayer, Common Prayer. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you like that new one. This is 1983, four years after we started using the 1979, our new Book of Common Prayer. She said, you like that new one. It was an accusation. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, your day is coming. Your day is coming. I've thought about that a lot, about my day coming when I was opposed and I would need to choose to be part of the loyal opposition. We're going to disagree. It's part of our nature as human, and it's part of our gifts as Anglicans. We don't march in step. We don't all agree. We don't have to. I want to be real clear, as I have been clear, I hope, with your dean and your wardens, that I want the Cathedral Church of the Advent to be the Cathedral Church of the Advent. I don't want you to be something else. I'm not trying to make you be anything other than who you want to be. There are some things that I don't like here. Let me tell you, when I go to St. John's in Montgomery or when I go to Nativity in Huntsville or when I go to Emmanuel Opelika, there are things that I don't like there either. We're not set up so that everybody in the whole diocese has to do things just the way I think they should be done. There are some churches that use incense way too much. 
There are some churches that half the congregation is in the procession. And what's the deal with the silly hats? Come on, y'all. But we don't have to do things the same way. We choose what means something to us. And I think that's a, that diversity of thought and practice is important. I've shared my concerns about some of the things that I um, would do differently. About using the Eucharist prayer, Eucharistic prayer from the 1662 prayer book, which is shorter. But it leaves out the epiclesis, the part where we invoke the Holy Spirit to, to bless this bread and wine. I understand that's a more Protestant expression. That's not the way I like it. I've shared my concerns about um, the recent pledge card that gives you a third option to give to the Advent so that it's not giving to the diocese and not giving to the Episcopal Church. I'm concerned about that because I think it weakens the connections between the people of the Advent and the rest of our church. And because I'm so excited and so proud about some of the things that are going on in our diocese, incredible ministries for young and old. And I want you to be fully a part of that. Some of you feel like um, you are opposed to things that have changed recently in the Advent. And I understand that. Some of you feel like you are opposed to things that have happened in the diocese or the Episcopal Church. And I understand that. And I want to encourage you all to be opposed. But be the loyal opposition. Not holding your breath and stomping your feet and threatening to leave. But fully a part of the Advent. Fully a part of the diocese fully a part of the life and ministry that our Lord has given us okay so that might have given you something to think about and if you have questions what are we doing are we just asking questions or are we if you, uh, if you have a uh, hello hello if you have a card uh, and you'd like to, we're going to mix it up a little bit. So, uh, if you have, does anybody have a card? They wrote the question down. You can pass them to the end of the row, maybe. No one has anything that they want to ask. Okay. And Andrew, when was the second council of Nicaea? <laughs> 381. No. What was it? Six. First Nicaea was 325. Chalcedon was 451, and that's all I know about that. I'm not going to be answering that smart-alecky question that came from over here. Well, let me see it, though. You can, you, no, you can talk to me directly. <laughs> okay. Anybody else other than the choir want to ask questions? <laughs> <laughs>
Essentials versus non-essentials? Good question. Here's what I think. And this is the kind of a odd way to think with it. Here I am. If you were to make a ham sandwich, what would you need? Ham? Bread? Someone has nominated mayo. I'm not sure that everybody would put mayonnaise on their sandwich. We don't need to vote. We've, we've gotten in a lot of trouble voting on things. But there are some people that just don't like mayonnaise. It's a nice thing to have, but not essential. Mustard, cheese, lettuce. Some people put nasty tomatoes on their ham sandwich. Those are good for some people, but other people don't like them. What is essential? Bread and ham. Could it be prosciutto? Okay. You're kind of stretching it. Yeah. Could it be a tortilla and make a wrap? No, that's a wrap. You have to have bread, you have to have ham, and that's it. What do you have to have to be the Episcopal Church? Someone said bishop. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Scripture? People? Sacrament? I would say that's essential. Yes, ma'am? Discipline. Discipline. That's a good thing to have. I think there are probably some Episcopal churches that survive without it. <laughs> I've noticed. Focus on God. Focus on God. What is essential? What is the bread and ham of the Episcopal church? Do you have to have a choir? No, but it's really nice. It's really good to have a good choir. It's like having the right mustard. Do you have to have a priest to be an Episcopal church? I would say you do. Do you have to have bishops? <coughs> well, if you're going to have to have priests, somebody needs to make an end of bishops and priests. So what is essential? In our theology, what is essential? Is it essential that we insist that Mary was a virgin? Some people say definitely yes. I imagine there's somebody who says, I don't really care about that. And you're probably wise to keep it to yourself. And and there are other people who don't really set back. Is that essential? It is an essential for some is it an essential that Jesus is the incarnation of God? Absolutely. Is it essential that he was crucified? And that he rose again? And that he ascended into heaven? I think those are the essential things. We argue about a lot of other stuff. Do you have to be dumped all the way under water to be baptized? If that's the way you want to do it, that doesn't hurt anything. kind of makes a mess. Is that essential? I don't think. I don't God doesn't care. We argue about little bitty things. 
Because I think, this is just me again, but it seems like we narrow what is acceptable to believe generation after generation after generation. So that it has to be just like this. It has to be right one. It has to be right two. It has to be the Eucharist. You have to have these vestments on. You have to, have to make the hand motions just so. Or it's wrong, invalid, not orthodox. I really think that the motion of the church needs to be broadened. Welcome. Let's see how other people do it. I'm not sure if I answered that question or not. I guess it was my question. Okay. Um, if you could speak a little bit about how you understand the authority of Holy Scripture. And, you know, when we talk about whether Mary was a virgin or whatnot, is that really a question about is that important or not? Or is it something to take seriously because the Bible tells us that she was? Okay. Bishop, would you repeat the question? Um, the question has to do with um, the authority of Scripture. And, and say, for example, the virginity of Mary in the scripture. Um, is, is that, do we think that must be so because it's in the Bible? Certainly the Bible is our um, great source of authority and the source of what we know. We are called to read and learn and mark and inwardly digest scripture. called to understand what it means, what it meant to the people that wrote it, what it meant to the people that read it, what it meant to the people that passed it on verbally or in written form for centuries, and what it means for us today. Um, I think we are called to read the scripture intelligently. And I think it's best read in groups of people who explore. Um, I think it's worst used when we use it as if it were woodenly um, and unquestionably faction. Um, so I think it needs to be read carefully. And I think it, I, I, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and I believe that it is inspired, and I believe that um, we need to take it seriously about so that we don't get always take it literally. I'm not sure I answered that question at all. As a, a follow-up to that, in, uh, in a public forum, you reference the tail end of John's Gospel about the Spirit teaching us new things. So do you think that even things that may be clear in the Bible, that God may actually work through his church to either A, reinterpret them, or B, to even do the complete opposite? I, I didn't re recall that I had referenced the last part of the Gospel of John, although it would have been smart for me to do that. Um, when Jesus says the Spirit is going to come and teach us more things but we're not ready for them at that point. I believe that's true. On the third Sunday of Advent, um, just a few weeks ago, the collect for the day <coughs> begins with 
uh, stir up, O oh Lord, by mighty power and come among us in great might. Remember that? Stir up. It's called Stir Up Sunday when I was a kid. Stir up by mighty power and with great might come among us. Well, to do what? Have we already got all the answers? Is God done revealing himself? Or are we still open, still receptive? Certainly we use scripture as a guide, scripture, tradition, and reason. But I, I do not think that God has done revealing himself. What I'm sorry. Well, what about those uh, who are not cradle Episcopalians for whom the Advent and what we believe trumps denomination? That is, they're here not because it's an Episcopal church, but they're here because of what the Advent is. Yeah, that's more and more the case, not only at the Advent, but across the Episcopal church. Um, of the some gathering um, at St. Luke's, I think, and there were 200 or 300 people and somebody in, in this kind of forum stood up and was going to ask a question. A lot of times people ask questions and they're really just comments with a question mark at the end. <laughs> um, that was one of these. And he said, well, I have the cradle of this cabin, blah, 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 whatever he said. <coughs> and after it was over, a bunch of people came up and talked to me. And one of them said, I'm so sick of, of hearing about cradle of this I grew up a Methodist and I joined this church because I chose And all I could think to say, and I think the best thing I could say is, thank you. Thank you for joining our church. I grew up an Episcopalian. I never chose to be an Episcopalian. It was just part of the package, installed on the hard drive. And I'm grateful. And I'm grateful to people who have joined from other denominations. I think we have a unique opportunity in the Episcopal Church. I think more and more and more people, especially young people, are looking for a church that offers the good news of the love of God and Jesus Christ, that offers beautiful and meaningful liturgy and authentic and loving community. I think more and more people are dissatisfied with a uh, religion of easy answers, bumper sticker theology, and QC performances on Sunday morning. And I think we are perfectly positioned to welcome all sorts and conditions of people. While we do that, as we do that, I think it's really, really important that we stay who we are. Continue to offer the middle way between Catholic and Protestant. And continue to celebrate the diversity of thought among us. You go to any group of Episcopalians and say, what happens when the priest or bishop puts the body of Christ in your hand and you put it in your mouth? What happens? Is it mystically changed into the body, the physical body of Jesus? Some people would say, yeah, and that's very important to them. I don't think it does me or them any good to talk them out of it. That's what they think happens. Other people think it's sort of a memorial meal. It's bread. Other people, like me, are in the middle and say that it's bread, but it's, it's precious. It's, it's sacramental. And it is a connection 
to the presence of God in a way that a regular piece of bread would not be. Do we have to take a vote? Do we have to say all in favor of just a memorial meal or raise your hand? The people who are voting for transubstantiation, okay, you lose, you're wrong. Leave the church. So, I'm glad for us to welcome all sorts of people. Um, A long time ago, I worked at an aquarium store when I was in Mississippi State, Exotics Aquatics in Starkville, Mississippi. Um, And it was in a strip mall kind of thing, and and there was a big place over here, and then there was Baskin Robbins over here. People would go back and forth between the two, get their hands all greasy, and have ice cream all over, tap on the glass, just make it crazy. The girl that worked at Baskin Robbins was exceedingly cute and there were some times that neither of us had much to do and I would kind of wander down and she would give me the new flavor, you know, all those little pink spoons. Here's Rocky Road or whatever it is. And one day I noticed that there was not much vanilla. I said, I guess nobody eats vanilla. She said, oh no, we can't keep it. It's the most popular flavor. You've got 30 other flavors to choose from and you're going to choose vanilla? We are not vanilla. We are not one size fits all. We are Jamocha, pistachio, mint fudge or something. I don't think we should vanilla up or we'll lose exactly what people are looking for. We need to be who we are and welcome other people to come and join us and touch us Bishop, uh, what do you need us to do to be more supportive, given that the money given to the diocese is as much or more than ever before? And the plan is to continue that standard of support. Thank you. I'm way remiss when I talk about stewardship in this parish or any parish. Um, if I don't thank you for your generosity. The cathedral has been abundantly generous um, and, and very, very supportive, not only of the diocese and budget, but of Sorryville special session and, and all sorts of things in the diocese. We are so grateful for that. Um, and um, it seems like more and more when we do diocesan things and youth events and camp events and Crescio and ECW and all this stuff, there are people from the cathedral who are there. And I'm so grateful to see that. Um, so what, what do I need for y'all to do more than you're already doing? Um, I think we still owe about a million and a half dollars on Bethany Village. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think y'all continue to do good work and continue to be connected, continue to be part of the diocese um, and part of the Episcopal Church. Bishop, what what does it look like to be the loyal opposition? What is the place of the Advent, not just on the corner of 6th and 20th, but in the diocese and beyond? I think you need to hold on to what you think and believe. And, and recognize that a lot of other 
of your brothers and sisters who are in different parishes in this diocese make you believe something different. We don't need to decide who's wrong. We don't, we don't need to take a vote. I mean, just hold on to what you think and be open to something new. And, and I hope that other parishes, other clergy, will hold on to what they think and listen to your voice in love and respect. Bishop, this may be the last one. Uh, Bishop, in the midst of significant disagreement in the Episcopal Church and even in our diocese, uh, what is our basis for unity? So you mentioned the sort of ham sandwich illustration, but can you give more uh, definition as to what the ham is? What is it that, that holds us together and what is the basis for our unity? That's a good question. And it, and it has some several answers. Let me take one answer while I'm thinking, while I'm thinking about the other. What holds any group of people together is the memories that we share together. That's what holds you in the Advent, is the memories that you have. If you're recent to the Advent, then I hope you make some memories pretty quick. You stay with us. The stories that we tell, the memories that we share, that form the community. Um, we have some disagreements. We'll disagree about the place of homosexual people in the church. Should they be ordained? Should they be allowed to be married? We'll disagree. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I'm a, a, a faithless knucklehead. And it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. Um, it means that we disagree. This question is not settled. You know, in the Nicene Creed, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, <coughs> the third kind of major part, and we're all, our mind is wandering by the time we get there. But next time you have the opportunity to say the Nicene Creed, it says that we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Son. In Latin, filioque. And the Son. Um, when did we insert, insert the filioque clause? In the Eighth century. Eighth century? Long time. It wasn't originally in the Greek. Do you know that? It became an issue in the last 1054. Okay. That was Hundreds of years ago, we said, we changed our what we said and said that the Spirit proceeds not only from the Father but also from the Son. It proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now we're talking about um, um, considering whether or not we should change the prayer book again. It's years away. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> and there are some people who say, and we can drop the filioque. We can leave it out. We've been talking about that, those three words, since the 8th century, since the 11th century. Time out of mind. We're going to talk about this issue for a long time. We will talk about um, 
There's still people that don't think we should ordain women. There's still people that would rather have the 28 book. I love the 28 book myself. And we will argue and fuss about the place of homosexual people in our church for a long time. That's fine. We, we can talk about it. But let's talk about it lovingly. Let's talk about it respectfully. Let's talk about it with the idea that, you know, I could be wrong. And I need to learn. And if I could be wrong, that means you could be wrong too. And you might need to learn as well. What holds us together is the strength of our belief in the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that connection that we have to the mystery of God that invites us to become part of community, to be part of the family of God, and the challenge for us to invite others and, and spread God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you for your good questions. Yeah, thank you uh, for coming. We, you got to go to work. Uh, thank you for coming, uh, sharing your perspective. I'm glad to, to hear from you uh, directly. That's helpful. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you. Yeah.